Live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, it's time for the Exit Exchange. Brought to you by XPX Atlanta. Dedicated to changing the trajectory of exit planning services in the Southeast. Now, here's your host. And hello again, everyone. I'm John Ray with Business Radio X. And welcome again to another edition of the Exit Exchange. I'm here alongside David Shavzen and Bob Tanksley, co-founders of the uh, XPX Atlanta chapter. David, Bob, good to see you again. Morning, John. Good to see you, too. John, hey, good to see you. Yeah, absolutely. We're getting used to this. What, <laughs> what are we at now? Numbers, number six? Yeah, we're we we've got six. Seven. Yeah, we got six in the can, and this is number seven. So here we go, right? So we're we're I think we're official by now, right? Um, yeah, this has been a lot yeah. of fun, and we've got a great guest today, Tiffany Wright. We'll introduce her in a second, but I just want to remind everyone that again, this show, the Exit Exchange, is brought to you by XPX Atlanta. XPX Atlanta is fundamentally changing the trajectory of exit planning services in the southeastern United States. XPX Atlanta delivers a collaborative-based networking exchange, broad representation of exit planning competencies, and a bridge spanning value building, value transfer, and life legacy for business owners. For more information, go to xpxatlanta.org. And now, again, we want to welcome Tiffany Wright. Tiffany, welcome. Thank you, John. Glad to be here. Hey, it's great to have you here. Let's talk about you and how you're serving folks out there. Okay. Well, I, I have a firm called The Resourceful CEO, and we help companies install infrastructure to help them scale or to... Uh, build or to help them to be able to step away from the business, have more free time, drive more cash flow, increase their profits. So that or or if the company is more sizable, we restructure their um, their finances and their operations, their regular operations and their financial operations. But that's what we do to uh, to help business owners achieve their goals. I think we're done, John. I think that's, that's kind of sums it up right there. <laughs> yeah, I think we just need to have people call Tiffany and leave it at that, right? So, <laughs> Well, actually, so I would like to um, jump in, and uh, you gave us a little brief uh, rundown on what you're doing currently with that company, but why don't you give us uh, a minute or so on your varied background to set the stage? Oh, okay. The uh, well, I... I started my career, I'll be really quick when you say that, it sounds like it's going to be really long, but I started my career as an engineer at Honda and uh, both in the, I worked there for almost for over five years in the U.S. and in Japan. And then I got an MBA from Wharton at the University of Pennsylvania, worked at Enron, Siebel, uh, and then left and um, started my own real estate investment firm. I did a short stint at Georgia Tech to learn more about how to what small business owners need. And then since then, have uh, I, I purchased and ran a publishing company and um, and I've served as an interim CFO, COO, and then I founded the resourceful CEO and became a consultant. 
So talk, 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 I'm curious how you got that, that name. I mean, cause you, you introduced what you do, which is awesome work, but talk about why the name, the resourceful CEO, what does that point to for you? It was actually, I will say, I did sit down with an acquaintance of mine who's a PR person. <laughs> we were trying, and I was trying to rebadge my name, which was actually uh, very boring and more about family, you know, like, I don't know, whatever. It had uh, like a family of companies or something. But anyway, so we started to think about what is it that I provide? What kind of makes me different? Um, and that's how we came up with the term resourceful, very, very resourceful. And then CEO was because when you, even though I was going in initially as a CFO and a COO, I really needed to have a strategic CEO mindset um, in order to be able to help the companies achieve the goals in the, in the shorter time frames that we had, which are typically anywhere from three months to a year. So that was the genesis of the resourceful CEO. I love that word resourceful. I I didn't think about that in in the prep for this uh, for this podcast. It implies that the CEO doesn't have all the resources in house. They ought to uh, pull a team together. Um, resources which may come from outside their firms, which is something we're uh, deeply passionate about here at. Uh, at XPX, you know, there are many issues that owners need to address. And, and in the show prep, we talked about owners setting and uh, communicating goals with their team. So tell us more about that and how that can impact value. Well, if everyone needs to be on the same page, and if in so many times you go into companies or I go into companies and the owner is thinking one thing, even in, and the management team is thinking something else and the employees are thinking yet something else. And it's because they're saying things like, we need more profit. (laughs) We need higher revenue. We need more sales or whatever. What does more mean? It means different things to different people. What does higher mean? Um, And so by being very, by clearly defining your goals you clarify what it is you want the organization to achieve, and then everyone else in the organization can get on board. Because when I say goal setting, I don't mean that you go off into a room and do it by yourself. You align or work to align your goals, what's your personal goals, with the business goals. And then we can, no one needs to know your personal goals, but they need to know the business goals. Share that with the management team. Have them break those goals down for their different departments or areas, and then uh, and then break that down into what each role, each employee's role on the team, how they how that role contributes to the achievement of the goal. And a lot of small business owners are leery about sharing financial information, which makes sense. You're a private company, and you don't want to cut your customers to know, I mean, yeah, or your competitors to know how much you're making. And uh, DMB is notoriously horrible about how much someone's making, a company's making. But the, um, so you can use percentages. So if you're at 10 million in revenue 
and your goal is 12 million in revenue over the next year, or maybe 20 million in five years, then you say we want a 20% increase in revenue over the next year and 100% increase over the next five years. But you use those kinds of terms and everyone can get on board with that. What what's you talked about personal goals, um, Tiffany, start is a starting point, right? Which is really key for the owners to have because the business is part of their overall personal exactly. picture. What, what what challenges though do you see when you try to get people to articulate their personal goals, you know, how it interacts with the the, the, the business or how how it may be complementary? It that actually takes the longest time. They'll they'll you know, they'll start to throw out goals for the business, but then I can tell it's not really tied to anything. Oh, well, like they should, but we don't want shoulds. We want what really resonates with them. So sometimes I have to give them um, homework, like visualize, you know, go home and just visualize or write down what comes to mind or something like that. Um, but I definitely have, it's not, let's have a meeting tomorrow. It's generally like a Thursday. And then by Tuesday, we can sit down and work through it. But while we're working through it, I just ask them a bunch of questions. What do you want? Um, When you, do you, you know, do you want to sell the company and retire? Do you want to pass it on to a child? Do you, what kind of money do you want? What do you, and if they're not sure about that, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to, tra- how often do you want to travel? What, I just ask all these kinds of questions and I pay attention to their body language in addition to the words that they're using, but really their body language. Like some people will say one thing, like, but there's no enthusiasm. And then they say something else and they light up. And so I know that that is actually something that resonates with them. And I'll circle back and dig into that. So it's, it's, it's not straightforward, but once we get that done, everything else start, uh, starts to fall into place. It sounds like a lot of uh, the folks you're talking to haven't thought about it. They're so engrossed in the business. Yes, they haven't, they haven't thought about it or they think of it like a dream, like, oh, it would be great to have time to do this. It would be great, but they don't think of it as achievable. <laughs> <laughs> you're uh, you're elaborating on on what I've kind of said often in in different settings, and that is, it, it's great when the the owner's goals and objectives, his or her readiness, lines up with the readiness of the business. When one of those are are out of balance, it, it creates um, it can create a, a stressful exit in most cases. Yes, yes, because the if you say you need, if, if we determine that you need, um, that you want to retire, let's say in 10 years at age 65, and you need, and your company currently allows, you know, you're only able to pull out like $150,000 total. And your goal is to have $300,000 <laughs> a year. Um, then, then there's a big disconnect. Your company needs to grow and it needs to be more profitable. So, um, and if you just want to keep doing things the way that you're doing, you're not going to achieve that. So 
your you need to so your company has to get bigger in order to deliver what it is you need. Now you may also um like I've also had some clients invest in you know buy the real estate, move their properties to the um to another mm-hmm. building in order to have real estate that increases in value, but the more time that you have before you retire, the more options you have. But those are the kinds of things that you have to think about because otherwise, like you said, Bob, there's that disconnect. You want this, but your company is only going to give you this. No one's going to pay what you want them to pay just because you want it. They're going to pay it because you're, you're delivering the value to them that they seek. Boy, just like in the show prep, I'm, I'm hearing all the right things. This, this is fantastic. (laughs) Uh, you mentioned time. How much time and effort do you see it normally taking for to, to get things in place in the company to get it to get it ready for sale? It it's normally about um, I'm seeing about two to three years, but it can be accelerated. I have I had one client that sold in a year and a half, but every time I said something they jumped on it. Normally I have to, I say, let's do this. And then I'll, okay, let's have weekly management meetings and I'll do the, the first few and do the uh, agenda and so on. But this, the, 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 one of the owners said, okay, I'll get the agenda out <laughs> today. <laughs> I'll give it to you to review. But so because of that, um, because they embraced everything so quickly and just, I mean, they did everything and then they stuck to it. Um, yeah, they sold for, they sold, they got an offer. They weren't even going to sell. They were going to hold on to the company. It was a family run business, but they did, by putting in that infrastructure, they went from a um, two times EBITDA to a, five, to a five and a half times EBITDA situation. So that was something they couldn't resist. The offer was something they couldn't resist. But yeah, but generally, two to three years, and it can take as long as five. It really depends on the um, psyche of the owner. And yes. then some owners aren't ready to retire. And so five years, you know, you can take, you can take more time. But I, I generally suggest put the things in place as quickly as you can, and then you can reap some of the rewards of, of having more time like in flexibility before you actually sell. So, you know, because like owners, you, you started the business or you bought the business or you inherited the business with with these lifestyle things in mind, in addition to growth and, you know, and, and status in the community and all of that. So if you can go from working 70 hours a week to 30 hours a week uh, before you sell, maybe you actually do want to hold on to the company a little bit longer. <laughs> hmm <laughs> Folks, we're here chatting with Tiffany Wright. Tiffany is president of the Resourceful CEO, uh, she, and uh, we're speaking with her here on the Exit Exchange. Uh, Tiffany, talk to me as a business owner. You mentioned psyche. Other than the fact that I, I'm just not ready to retire, how do I know if I have the right psyche? <laughs> the Well, I ask a series of questions and it depends on the responses to that. So if you, it's usually, the driver is usually a, 
some kind of bigger pain that the owner has experienced than than what they're willing to, and, and they're just no longer willing to put up with it. So, for instance, I've had owners who plateaued for three years, and they were fine. You know, they complained about it and so on, and they were fine. But uh, like in one situation, the one owner had two heart, one, it was a five owners. One owner had had two heart attacks and he was ready to retire, but he couldn't because they didn't have the money to buy him out. So that was a pain point that was bigger than the, you know, that was bigger than, I don't know, the, the fear of change or something. Um, Others, it's, you know, something happened and it never happened before, or their spouse has said, this is just ridiculous and you need to spend more time, or they run into other business owners who um, are doing things differently and they, and they go, huh, there really is, there really is a different way, but it's some, there's some kind of, there's something that happens um, usually in the business um, or even externally, but that, that makes them, that makes the pain be more intense than it has been. Um, even though it's been, you know, they've been having these issues for a while. Usually. What is a, a, a key area, maybe even more, more than one. I'm sure there's more than one where you see where um, in the business, things are not being done well enough. Uh, cash management comes to mind, but you know, that uh, other areas that, you've got an owner in front of you. What, what are 90% of the time you're seeing some of these same problems from one business type to the next? Cash management is a big one as well as the personnel. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, if I had better people mm-hmm. and, um, and that's where the goal alignment comes in. Cause then you don't have to work so hard because your people are self-motivated because you are letting them know, you know, if you're posting quarterly updates about your progress and they can directly tie in what they're doing to the company's progress, then there's a lot of self-motivation there um, in addition to people checking in on you and so on. But yeah, cash management, it's uh, like construction companies, <laughs> for mm-hmm. instance, have an issue with buying equipment and then they wonder where their cash went. Well, you financed it. And only the interest charges run through your income statement, but you're having to pay principal. So they don't look at their cash flow statement and they don't realize the impact of paying all that principal um, on their cash on your cash flow. The other thing is the alignment with um, like short term with short term. So if you are like I had a client who was paying for. Um, one of the inputs into their manufacturing process, and it was like 25% of their cost, they were paying for it within 10 days, 10 days. But they weren't getting paid for it for um, up to 90 days, between 60 and 90 days. So they had all this cash outflow that they had to cover. So they just talked to the supplier and, um, I mean, uh, yeah, to the supplier, and they got terms. They actually, I said 60, but they actually went for 90 and they got 90 day terms for six months and then it switched to 60 days. So it's those kinds of things um, that really makes a huge difference. 
And then obviously, you know, EBITDA, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation and amortization is a driver of, of cash flow, the multiple, and then, you know, times EBITDA. So, I mean, not driver of cash flow, it's driver of valuation. So if you can increase your cash flow, then you also increase your value. But th- those kinds of things, that's that's huge. It just so many owners just focus solely on the income statement and they don't think about their cash. And I am more of a proponent of, I think it's important to, I think the cash flow statement is good to look at, but if you're not that familiar with it, really a 12 to 13 week projection of your cash can really, will really help you identify where things are, where you're missing things um, and where you can tighten things up. <laughs> That's a great space for for the business owner to live in that that time frame three three months out or so yeah. kind of a rolling three months always be thinking forward. Yes, I, I agree. So Tiffany, we understand that um, you're looking to buy a company. Uh, <laughs> so you're on the other side of the table uh, yeah. from from helping the potential eventual sellers uh, yeah. as business owners. Um, so let's get real. You're buying. So what are the top several things you're looking at? What are the attributes you're looking for in a company that you want to purchase? Well, I look at cash flow, the what I call the real cash flow, the EBITDA. Yes, so many, especially when you're going through a broker, so many people talk about the SDE, sellers, discretionary earnings. And my thing is a company should be able to run on its own without the owner. And so if that's the case, then I have to pay a GM or president or somebody the market wage. So I don't, I'm not buying a business to buy a job. I can go work somewhere else. So that's, that's the biggest thing that so many owners put in, um, the, the SDE will be skewed because it has this, you know, amount for the owner, but the owner is only paying themselves like 70,000, for instance, in an eight, $8 million company. Well, I'd have to pay someone 110. So ahead, I actually, that works against you. you. You know, you want to say it. You, you've seen the boat, the plane, <laughs> the multiple cars, the vacation home. You've seen it all get run through the company, right? Oh, Yes. And that's yep, that's right. All these personal expenses, they want to have all these ad backs. And I say, if you want to have the ad backs, then you need to show me the receipts for these ad backs. Otherwise, I'm I just have to trust because lots of you know there are some business owners who are actually you know specifically state owner owner perks in their books, but generally they bury it in. The bur- yeah, in other areas. And so you you don't know what it is. And, and it's like, yeah, I'm, all of this stuff I'm running through the company. Well, do you have a separate Amex or something that I can look at? I need proof, folks. Proof. That's a big thing. I need proof. So, um, so yeah. So I get a lot of SDEs and these overvaluations <laughs> of, the, of the company based on this. Um, and then... Um, and then a lot of businesses who are asking for a lot of money, but it's all dependent on the owner. Well, what happens when the owner decides to compete? I mean, I have to, you know, and, and then the broker will say, well, you can use the, the, 
you know, non-compete, you can structure the non-compete. No, if you have to rely on a legal agreement solely to protect yourself, I don't want to, you're, that's not good. I was going to say something stronger, <laughs> but that is absolutely not good. So if you have, but if you have a general manager who has the sales contacts and, you know, all those strong relationships, then I feel significantly more comfortable because I know that a year from now, you're not going to be bored and come back and do the same thing. So these are the, these are the big things that I look at. How much of the business depends on the owner? How, what's the actual EBITDA, not just the seller discretionary earnings? And um, what kind of market presence do they have? Because they'll say, you know, we're so great. <laughs> but then I, I'm wondering, like, how do they really line up against their competitors? Um, and so I do. Those are the kinds of things that I, I, I look at. But the first two generally cancel out a, a lot of the stuff that I look at. <laughs> they don't pass the cut. <laughs> that And those two criteria apply to a lot of different business models, for sure. You know, one thing we uh, we often say is that the buyer, sophisticated buyers, which you clearly are, would rather have more of the problem solved by the time you step in to to look at it for acquisition, more of the problem solved than than still existing. You'd rather have, you know, cash flow, you know, down to the penny and known. You'd rather have um, business owners that are listening, don't take this personally, but as a buyer, you'd rather have the business owner become the seller, become irrelevant. You'd rather that business to be able to perpetuate uh, no matter who owns it, quite frankly, and and that the machine has already been built. How often, here's the question, how often have you seen that in your search for companies? How often do the stars line up and, wow, this, this this is a business I need to pay special attention to? In, I will say this, that in the um, $1 to $5 million range, which is where I'm currently looking in terms of revenue, um, in the under million dollar EBITDA, mm, I don't see that much. I don't see that much at all. Um, I start to see more of that as I get past uh, when I was looking at larger, looking at um previously looking at larger companies and I will go back to that later, but the, uh, but even at the $10 million mark, I mean, the company that I, I was telling you about the, my client that sold itself, they were 28 million in revenue. Um, and the owners were still doing way too much, but fortunately they had a structure there that they could leverage. They just hadn't, they never knew how to do it. Um, and uh, so, yes, that that is really I don't need everything to be perfect. But if you're someone selling a business that relies mainly on you, then we need to maybe do a, a phase out like I'll buy into your business or or uh, or whatever. But over a five year period, I'm not just going to buy the business outright because it's just it's just way too much risk for me. Um, we're hearing a lot more about we're hearing more about earnouts and yeah. contingency payments, and you know, COVID has introduced a lot of a lot of uh, risk that buyers didn't have to consider into the equation. And so now let, we're, let's string those payments out over 
you know, X number of months, quarters, or years? Yes. I think, I think, uh, I do like earnouts because I think they can, they can bridge the gap. Um, we just, people need to be realistic. Like if your business, if you're, you want an earnout and you think your business will hit, I'm, I, I just keep using 10 million. Um, but you've never hit 10 million, <laughs> then you're likely not going to get a large portion of that earnout. But if you, if your business took a dip and you were, um, you know, let's say you were at, you were at 1.8 million, but now you're down to six and a half million. You think you could get back to that 8 million in the next year and a half or something like that, then yes, an earnout makes perfect sense and it will um, deliver you the value that you're seeking. So I think it's just, the main thing is just to be uh, realistic with yourself and maybe use some advisors to help you be realistic. Cause sometimes you just talk to yourself it's not going to work. You need to have real people from the outside who can give you a um, objective perspective. This, you know, this is a great conversation because like you're saying, Bob and I are counseling clients and not yet to be clients on this all the time, but this is wonderful having you say these things, you know, as a buyer, right? So, so we're telling, you know, we're telling the, the selling uh, owners these things and you are looking at these things and it's a great confirmation for any owners listening that there's money out there and there are buyers out there and there are people out there who want to buy businesses, but um, the reality is the reality and they need to do a few things uh, to, to clean it up or be ready to just, you know, get a much lower price for the business. Yes. That's just, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and here's the one thing I think, you know, owners, so many times owners think, well, you know, the business runs so well uh, with me, but here's the thing. If you can't push that knowledge down to someone else, how are you going to transfer that knowledge to a buyer? That's, that's the, the issue. So if it's so easy for you and you believe it's so easy for someone else, test it. Test that thought and try to push it down to some. <laughs> try to push it down to someone else. Uh, uh, um, and and then if it works, you you know, okay, you're fine. But if not, then you know there's a bunch of other uh, processes or procedures or stuff because there, there's a lot of stuff that can be in your head that makes the business work. But if people don't know what that stuff is and you can't articulate it, your business is not going to be worth it's just not going to be worth the same amount. And so that's really why I do like advisors because that's what advisors do. They help you get the, and consultants, they help you get the stuff out of your head and um, out to the people and out to those who can really help you drive the value that you want um, for your business. Yeah, real, real one last thought. David and I sell companies, and and we talk to a lot of buyers as a result of that. And so, one of the biggest shocks for an owner is to hear the valuation estimate that, as we see it, and then hear from some uh, some some people in the buyer pool uh, present their offers. And invariably, it's I would say they all kind of all the buyer offers kind of cluster around fifty to seventy percent of what. Um, you know what? What a valuation estimate might suggest, and that that's a huge uh, a huge shock to the seller. 
Yes. And, and here's the other thing. I think like I'm, I, I consider myself a financial buyer, which means I just solely based on the finances of the of the business and the you know market position and so on. But the finance, the the numbers, a strategic buyer, like if you're a larger company and a strategic buyer comes in and they are going to eliminate all these people or eliminate all of this stuff, then they may be willing to pay more because they're going to get more value because their cost. So their EBITDA is going to be different because they're wiping out all these expenses. But for someone who's just buying your company, um, it's a, you know, um, to continue it as, as is with no changes except, you know, to improve it, to make it grow. It's a, it's a different perspective. So that's what I think sometimes is the disconnect. Like they think they're going to get this great strategic buyer and get this great price but the financial buyers are really more concerned about the investment potential versus the strategic potential. Wow. Uh, A lot to think about folks. Now, if you've got, if you think you've got a mismatch or what I heard from Tiffany, even if you don't think you have a mismatch, you better be in touch. So Tiffany, let's get to the most important question, which is if folks want to reach out and connect with you, How can they do that? They can reach me through the resourceful CEO. I give a free 20 minute consult and have to fill out a form so they can get the most out of it, out of the call as they can. And that's at the resourceful CEO.com forward slash schedule, the resourceful CEO.com forward slash schedule. Or you can also email me at T right at the resourceful CEO.com. (laughs) Terrific. Tiffany Wright, the resourceful CEO. Tiffany, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, John, for having me. It's been fun. Absolutely. Hey, folks, just a uh, quick reminder again, the show, The Exit Exchange, is brought to you by XPX Atlanta. Here's the deal. As good as your accountant is, they don't know all the answers. As good as your attorney is, they don't have all the answers. Exit planning is a complex process that needs a lot of inputs from great advisors. And XPX Atlanta is ideally positioned to serve an extremely high concentration of family and privately held businesses in the Southeast. And here's the commitment from this organization. The board, membership, and sponsors are comprised of a high-quality network of advisors who are focused on collaboration and placing the client's interest at the center of all that they do. If you're interested in more information, go to xpxatlanta.org. David, Bob, this has been a great one. Yes, it has. Thanks, John. Thanks, Tiffany. Thanks, John. Thanks for all the work you do to make these things happen. Absolutely. Uh, Tiffany, thanks again. Yeah, Tiffany, thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you again for having me. Absolutely. And folks, uh, that's a wrap on this edition of the Exit Exchange. Uh, I'm John Ray. Join us next time. Thank you.